Well, hello everybody and welcome back to our Bible studies series on the book of Romans. Now, I'm pretty sure you hear something in the background. Yeah, I think that's the sound of my neighbor just running his lawnmower at low RPMs for no discernible reason. But I'm going to hopefully speak loudly and clearly enough to where you don't notice it. Maybe instead it becomes a nice rumbling ASMR. Help tuck you in at night, help you get to sleep, you know. <laughs> hopefully something that makes this recording enjoyable. But if it is not, if this is terrible, please just go ahead and email me and say, Listen, brother, I would rather the recording come out late and have it be a delayed Bible study than have to sit through lawnmower white noise. But with that said, let's go ahead and have our Bibles open here to the book of Romans, chapter 7. And while you're turning there, just a little bit about what we were talking about last week. St. Paul in verses 7 through 12 goes over the idea or the objection that the law is sin. Because after all, he's been explaining to us for a good long time why the law doesn't save us, why sin is multiplied through our sinful response to the law, we're hosed. But then the question is, well, does that mean the law is an evil thing? So St. Paul says, no, 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 no. Don't blame the law for what we do for what sin does in us in response to the law being pronounced. That is, whether it is in our hearts or whether it is by the proclamation of God's word. So he ends that verse with, So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. But now there's going to be a second question here, a second objection that we need to keep in mind he is tearing down every potential objection to his arguments. So we start in verse 13. Did that which is good, then, bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? 
Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Before we go back and look at this verse by verse, let me just go ahead and summarize what the real question is that St. Paul is answering. I think the real question is, why do Christians sin? After all, in your baptism, you are made new. You are made regenerate. God comes in and says, by faith in my son, Jesus Christ, you are saved. You are declared righteous. But we see a division between being declared righteous and being actually righteous in ourselves. And we look at the progress of sanctification, becoming better and more holy over time, becoming a better person by the help of the Holy Spirit. We notice it is not a line graph or just big line go up in a diagonal thing. It's more like a roller coaster that you have these ups and downs and sometimes you get really, really high up, but then you go really, really, really down and you mess up big time. I wonder whether or not somebody was asking St. Paul about this and going, what gives? Wait. Oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness he's done with his uh, lawnmower machine. Anyway, it seems to me that he's asking these questions because somebody out there is really frustrated with a struggle with sin and wondering why. Because you look at the New Testament and there are promises of being a new creation, of being somebody that is brand new in Jesus Christ, of being regenerate, of being saved, but then you sin over and over and over again and you don't know why. Is something wrong with me? Am I going to hell? Am I accursed from God? Did the baptism not take what happened? So St. Paul here in explaining the law in the interaction of sin with the law, as well as the interaction between the sin and our person, is giving us an explanation. So now we can go back to verse 13 and look at the question. Did that which is good, the law that he just called holy, righteous, and good, then bring death to me? Did this law kill me? Did God just have it out for me by telling me to do stuff, knowing full well that I was going to sin more in response to it. And as St. Paul has said a few times now, by no means, heck no, get out of here with that nonsense, miss me with that. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Now this answers more than one question. Because in verse 8 here of the same chapter, he said, apart from the law, sin lies dead. And here he's saying it was sin producing death in me through what is good. Well, without the law, sin lies dead. Then why did so many people die with or without the law? Let's Put our finger in chapter 7 here and just hold it there and we're going to go back to chapter 2. In chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, St. Paul says, All who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and those who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Why? 
For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified uh, under, of course, the law's stipulation. We spoke about that earlier. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. That is the revealed law of God. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Let's turn real quick also to Romans chapter 5. In verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, or revealed, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So here, when St. Paul says in verse 13, it was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. We hearken back to chapters 2 and 5, where he says, listen, even if you don't have the law revealed to you in Holy Scripture, if you're one of these Gentiles out there that just wasn't around at Mount Sinai, you still have the law in your heart. That's what your conscience is. God wrote that into you. That's, you're programmed with it, really. And so if you violate that and you're still sinning, then you're going to die. And death is going to reign over you. The same thing is observed in chapter 5 where he says, listen, death was in charge from Adam to Moses even if they weren't sinning like the revealed command given to Adam. Why? Because of sin itself. God is not teaching us in Romans chapter 7 that if you never read the Bible, and if you never heard of the Ten Commandments from the Bible, well, goodness gracious, you're not even a sinner. It's not saying that. There might be somebody who thinks, honestly, I wish I had never heard of this Old Testament. I wish I'd never heard a command given to me from God because, after all, my sin would just lie dead. St. Paul's not saying that. God is not saying that to us through St. Paul. But it is sin responding to the commandment, whether it is from my conscience or from the revealed word of God. So sin produces death through the law. It is sin's fault, not the law. The law does not bring death to you. Now somebody might ask, hey, wait a second. The law has all sorts of punishments for those who sin. The punishment for adultery, for instance, in Deuteronomy is death. There's stoning to death for adulterers in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Uh, how is the law not killing me? God is responding to your sin. It is your sin's fault. It is not the law that killed you or that merited your death sentence. It is you. It is me. It is our sinful flesh. Like 
verses 7 through 12, St. Paul is saying, don't blame the law for this. Don't blame the law for your sins. The law is not sin. It does not kill you. You kill you. It is your fault into the sin that is within you. So then it says here, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. What does he mean by this? If nobody shows you that what you did was bad, and if there is no witness to that, then there is no morality, at least not apparently to us. In a state of complete and total hyper-ignorant anarchy, nobody knows right from wrong. So the commandment comes, whether that's in our heart or in the revelation of scripture, and we find ourselves doing bad. And in so doing, it is revealed and demonstrated that what is bad is bad, and what is good is good. And in verse 14, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. And here's a, a little thesis statement here that brings it all together. The law is spiritual. It comes from God. It doesn't come from us. It is not arbitrary. It is not mankind just making up random decrees that don't have any real moral weight behind them. They might have the weight of the sword on them. That certainly is true. But that doesn't make it actually right or actually wrong. The law, however does say what is right and wrong and is correct on that 100%. But your flesh does not produce in itself motivation to actually follow the spiritual. We are spiritually damaged ever since the fall in Eden. So we cannot, from a righteous heart, by ourselves, decide to follow God's law. We cannot love it as we ought. And in verse 15, St. Paul says, I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Notice here that St. Paul is using the first person pronoun. I, me, my. He is talking of his own experience. Some people, as we talked about last week, a whole lot of people actually, have tried to say, well, St. Paul is putting himself in the shoes of somebody who is not regenerate. Does the text say that? Does St. Paul say, oh, no, by the way, this isn't actually me. I'm a holy and gracious and wonderful apostle, um, so this doesn't apply to me. He does not say that. That is not in the text. They might argue that when St. Paul says in verse 14, sold under sin, Oh, well, see, Jesus buys us by his blood, and if you're sold under sin, that means that you are not, uh, <laughs> you're not really under Jesus. So he can't be talking about himself. He's redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I am going to disagree. See, whenever we see a dead body, we go, that guy is dead, because their body is dead. If they're a Christian, you could say, oh, well, they're alive with Jesus now in heaven, Sure, but in casual conversation, you are going to be talking about them as dead. It's the same way when we talk about our flesh or our bodies. I am in pain. I have a headache. 
do you really honestly say, oh no, um, it's my flesh is in pain right now, sending signals to the brain, and some part of me, my soul or my spirit probably, is perceiving that discomfort. No, we are not such uh, hyper-dualists or dichotomists, trichotomist myself here. We are not so odd in our language that we separate our body as though it is nothing but the puppet that our soul is in. You are your body, you are your soul, you are your spirit. You are made up of these three parts, but each one is so integral to your identity that if your flesh is sold under sin, because it is not redeemed yet, you are not resurrected yet with a perfect body per 1 Corinthians, when St. Paul talks about the resurrection, then yes, you can say that until Christ returns, until the resurrection, that body is sold under sin. That's why it dies. <laughs> so he says he's sold under sin. He says that about himself because he doesn't get his own actions. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand why he sins either. I do not do what I want. I'm not doing the right thing all the time, but I do the very thing I hate. In fact, in scripture, we have an example of this happening. In Acts chapter 23, I think it's pretty funny, St. Paul goes before the council of like, the chief priests and the Jews, and let's just go ahead and read from verse 1. Looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Even St. Paul has his moments of blurting out something that he himself admitted was sinful. Was it sinful for him to condemn the high priest according to the word of God? No. Was it sinful for him to condemn the high priest on his own behalf because he just didn't like the guy and he was just mad at him, as was the case? Yes, that was bad, and he admits it. So even St. Paul has these outbursts when his flesh gets mad, when he sees that sin boiling up and bubbling up occasionally, it's just going to pierce through. And what does he say? I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. He didn't want to violate God's law. So we look at verse 16. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. After all, if I admit this wasn't, this wasn't right, the commandment was right, then yes, we can all say that God's law is holy and perfect and good. So now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Uh, that is another extremely important verse. He's going to be repeating himself a little bit, expanding on it. If you, as a baptized believer in Jesus Christ, can say, hey, wait a second, I didn't want to do that. That's not me. Then you recognize that the core change happened. You recognize that, yes, wait a second, baptism is efficacious. It did what God's word said. Because I don't want to do this. If I was a non-believer... I wouldn't care. 
I really wouldn't at the end of the day. Maybe I would feel a tinge of guilt every now and then, but I wouldn't even try to stop it. I wouldn't be wrestling with my sin. Uh, if anything, the guilt that I would feel would be more like being upset that somebody is angry with me for my sin, or being confused as to why it's wrong in the first place. So if it's not actually me, in my heart of hearts, it is part of me that does this, that rises up in me, this fungus of sin that wages war on me, I can say, well, praise God. Because if I can recognize that that sin doesn't come from me, and if I can recognize this is something I have to fight, not something I have to question and doubt myself about and ask, am I really a bad person over all of this? I can rejoice then that Jesus really has saved me and God still sees me as his child. So he says in verse 18, For I know nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So he repeats himself. If you notice here, there's another chiasm, the X-shaped kind of poetic structure here from the Psalms and from other places in Scripture, where he says in verse 17, So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And in verse 20, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Your flesh cannot make its own decisions. Your brain is not in control of you. You are in control of you to a certain extent. And if that's the case, it is not your flesh, your body, that is doing all this evil. There is something alien inside of you now. Ever since you became a baptized believer. There's something alien inside of you that is trying to make you do bad things, that is trying to tempt you to do bad things. It is something that needs to be removed. It is sin that dwells within you. That's what St. Paul's getting at here. That's not you anymore. Something changed. And in verse 21, we have kind of a so what. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. What is he getting at here? All of your life you are going to have to do battle with sin. It is never going to be fully gone. Over the course of your life, sure, there is sanctification. You will be a better person over time as God permits and does for you, as he in his graciousness helps you. But you are going to have to engage in struggle. It is tentatio. It is part of us, part of our life, that we have to fight, claw, try to repress that sin as much as we can. It's a part of our life, a part of the sanctification process. When he says, 
a law. He's not talking about the law, capital L, law. He's saying it's an observation. It's like a law of nature or a new law governing my behavior. When I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. If you're following the commandments, if you're keeping God's word in your mind, studying Holy Scripture, sin is going to do what St. Paul all over Romans 7 has been saying. It's going to respond by trying to get you to sin more. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, or my body, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Again, not a law in and of itself, but an observation of what's going on here. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? It's not easy. It's not enjoyable. There are so many times I want to run my mouth against people that I don't like. There are so many times I want to hurt, fight, attack, or even lust over, or steal from, or take, or covet. So much of that comes out of my flesh, and I have to try my best to struggle against it. Who is going to deliver me from this? Because it is a miserable, awful, no good life if there's no salvation. By itself, even the pagans or the non-believers that go through this process in a much lesser extent because, well, let's face it, they cooperate with their sin. They like their sin. They go along with it in X number of ways. But even those who decide to start trying to do good are going to find a good amount of struggle there and sin's going to win that battle. But for us, we have the promise of redemption that one day that struggle is over. So thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is him who saves us at the end of the day so that one day in the resurrection when our flesh is purified of all of that sin, whatever is left after our long and hard lives, we don't have to deal with it anymore. And we will not have that struggle and that curse within us. And then he concludes by saying, So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. This is how it's going to be. There's now a split between the real you and an alien thing inside of you now that at one point was totally in charge of you, but when you were baptized is no longer fully in control. Your old Adam, your flesh and you're gonna have to fight it anybody who says christianity is some meek feminine religion has not actually done real battle against their own sinful flesh they don't get it they don't understand that this is a fight everybody just has to do as christians so that sin does not rule over them as saint paul has said over and over and over again whoever you present yourself to be a servant for that's your ruler, that's your master, and I don't want sin ruling over me. But thanks be to God that not only has Christ promised to save me from this body of death, in addition, he helps us. He sent the Holy Spirit, who is the chief actor in sanctification, to make it a little bit easier over time, to be the one who is in charge of making me holy. So I know that I'm not alone. 
God has sent his Holy Spirit. I have support in my church for helping me get better. I can go to confession and be cleansed from my unrighteousness. We have the sacrament where Christ strengthens, preserves, and refreshes us in the faith. We're not alone. We're not without support. And this is all because of our Lord Jesus. Now, for those who would say this whole passage isn't about St. Paul and his observations of himself, for those who would say this is about somebody who is not regenerate, I have an answer for why we sin. I have an answer for how bad we are in knowing that nothing good dwells in us, and in our flesh anyway, Christ being in our heart of hearts, that's, that's there. I have an explanation for that. If you disagree with me, What's your explanation for why people sin? The holiness movement people, they tried to answer this with, well, if you really honestly were converted, you wouldn't sin anymore. So uh, you clearly you just apostatized. Clearly you just screwed up so bad because your heart was wicked, so you got to go get reconverted. It's insanity. <laughs> it's terrible. That's not a good explanation. And all these other denominations that can't answer why do I sin, then how on earth are you going to help someone when they come to you saying, Pastor, my porn addiction seems insurmountable. Pastor, I don't know what to do about this habit of telling these little white lies, so to speak. I, I feel dirty all the time. Pastor, I feel like God doesn't love me. What is wrong with me? If you don't have an answer for that because you're saying, well... And that's only for non-believers, then, then what is it? That just human beings just occasionally sin because that's what they do with their free will? Is that the answer, Arminians? Is it you don't have free will? In fact, this was preordained from eternity past that this is how you were going to sin. You never had any decision in it. Is that your answer, Calvinists? It, Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox, what's your answer to this? I'm going to go with the pure word here. That's not me. That's something inside of me that wants me to sin, and i got to fight against it my whole life. By the grace of God, it'll get easier. But Lord knows, that's not me in my heart of hearts. So I am going to go to Christ for mercy and for protection from the evil inside of me, the enemy within. But if anybody has any other answers, if they have a different take on it, Feel free to shoot me an email at very underscore Lutheran at tutanota.com and I can, I can spend some time responding to you on a VLL or something. With that said, I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. Amen and amen.